So we've been going through the churches in the book of Revelation. It's been our Church Unveiled series, and we've been doing this for the last seven weeks. Has anyone been enjoying the series so far? Amen, amen. We've learned a lot of different things. And just in case you're here and you're joining for the first time, let me just recap a little bit. In the book of Revelation, in the Bible, in chapter one, we read about a man called John. And John is on exile in an island called Patmos. And in the island, or on the island, he says that he has a supernatural experience. And in, in Revelation 1, you can read it, it says he was caught up in the spirit. And then when he was caught up in the spirit, he heard a loud voice speaking behind him. And so he turned to see who this loud voice was. And in front of him was Jesus. And it says that Jesus' eyes were like flames of fire. And his hair was like as white as wool. And his feet were like burnished bronze. And it says that John fell down like a dead man. And then Jesus touches John, and Jesus says to John, write down, John, everything that I say to you. This needs to go to the seven churches. And so that's how we have the seven churches in the book of Revelation that we're hearing about tonight. And this is the last of the series. And so tonight we're learning about the church of Laodicea. I was asking the Lord what to focus on tonight, and I believe that just as he spoke so profoundly to John, I believe that he wants to speak profoundly to us. He wants to speak into your life tonight. He wants to speak into our church tonight. He wants to speak into our individual lives and our direction. But also, above all, I believe that he wants to speak to us about our condition, our condition. Now, the word condition is an interesting one, because when we think about the word condition, we normally think about how something looks, what its appearance is. Like if you're looking for a car, you want the car that is in good condition. Is that right? Yeah, you don't want the car that's in poor condition, you want the car that's in good condition. A few years ago, my husband and I, we were, we were trying to buy a car, and we started to look through different websites. We wanted a Ford Focus car, and we wanted it to, um, be at a good price. And so we were looking for all these different websites. We were trying to get a second-hand cob that was at a good price. And as we were looking, we found a bargain. It was a silver, shiny Ford Focus. And it was, had the same mileage as many other cars on the list, but it was a lot lower in price. And so we were really excited, and we were like, OK, this is a bargain. And I believe it was one day after church. We drove to South London, far off to South London. And when we got there, we met um, a couple, and they, they told us about the car, and they showed us the car. And we were like, oh, this car looks like it's in great condition. It's really good. And then we looked inside, and it was all really nice and tidy and clean inside. And then we did our due diligence. We looked through the logbook. We looked through everything, all the different servicing reports. And it looked like it was in really good condition. And so we were like, OK, we're going to buy the car. And so we paid for the car, and we drove off the car, and we um, wrote, like, you know, sent off the slip to the DVLA so that they could change owners. Anyway, a few weeks later, we get a letter from a company, and the company says to us, the people that sold you the car actually had a higher purchase agreement, and they still have an outstanding debt to pay on the car. And we were like, oh my goodness, how could that happen? We were shocked, we were really shocked, and we were like, I thought that we were buying a car that was in good condition. 
but actually the car was in poor financial condition. Thank God the debt was with the people and they were chasing the people for the debt, but it did make us think. You know, there's a really well-known saying which says, don't judge a book by its cover. And you know, the Bible says, don't look at the appearance, but look at the inward parts. And so tonight, we are looking at the inward parts. We're considering our situation. Now, Jesus wants to examine our condition because outside, just like the car, everything can look out okay. Like you could think, okay, everything's really good with me. But Jesus knows our true condition. And he knew the true condition of the church in Laodicea, which is why he knew that he needed to write the letter. He needed to write the church a strong letter of correction. If you have your Bibles with you, please can you turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 14. We're going to read on from there. But as we read on, I really believe that we should be ready to prepare our hearts to hear what God has to say, because I believe that he's going to speak to us in a really significant way. So prepare your hearts as we read this. And to the church... Sorry, I'll start from verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. This is basically Jesus speaking, and he says, Look, I'm the Amen, I'm the faithful one, I'm the true witness, I'm the beginning of the creation of God. And then Jesus says to them, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and you are neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I've become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched. You are miserable, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. Then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I'd like to counsel you to anoint your eyes, to buy eye salve that you may see. And then Jesus goes on and he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on the throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Amen. Can I just get my bottle of water? Sorry, just, just thank you so much. So, we've just let, read the letter. It's a strong letter, isn't it? It's a very strong letter. But what is Jesus saying? He's basically saying, Church of Laodicea, there's no hiding from me, church. Church of Kensington Temple, there's no hiding from me, church. I know your works. I know the things that you do. 
I know the things you say behind closed doors. I can see all your actions. I can see all your results. I can see all your motives. I can see all your behaviors. I can see everything. You know, you can dress up on the outside and look really good, but I can see straight through to your inside. You are neither hot nor cold, he says to the Church of Laodicea. You have no extreme of temperature. You're just in the murky middle. You're a murky mess. And then he says to them, many of you here say that you know me, but there's no passion, there's no desire, there's no hunger, there's no fire. You are spiritually dead. And what you need to understand, Jesus is saying, is that the condition you're in, it not only pierces my heart with sorrow, but it makes me so sick that I can actually vomit you out. Wow. Wow. Harsh, harsh, harsh words. Now, while we digest that letter, <laughs> let's talk a bit about the history of Laodicea and how this church got itself into such a state. Around the time this letter was written, which was around first century AD, we know that Laodicea was a very wealthy city. And it was very wealthy due to its banking, due to its textile industry, and it also had a world-famous medical school. And in the medical school, they had a very famous salve, which people would put on their eyes to help them with different eye conditions. And so it was a very popular type of city. People would come from all over the Roman Empire to visit this city. And they had one weakness, however, which was their water supply. They had no natural way of having water come in and out of the city. And so all the water that they had had to be pumped into Laodicea. And it either got pumped in the cold water springs in Colossae, or it would get pumped in through the hot springs in Hierapolis, two different cities on two different sides. Now, cold water would from, come from Colossae through pipes, and hot water would come from Hierapolis. But either way, the water would have to travel into Laodicea. And by the time it got there, it would be lukewarm, unclean, or undrinkable. It would be the type of water, I don't know if you've ever had it, that kind of warm, disgusting water that makes you want to spit it out or vomit it out of your mouth, as Jesus says when he thinks about the Laodicean church. By referencing their water issues, Jesus is saying, guys, I want to make sure that you know that I know that I'm talking to you. There's no mistaking it. I'm talking to you because you're the church of Laodicea and you have the water problems. And I know all about you. And I want to tell you that your hot water that you're getting in from Heropolis, that's good. Hot water's good. And the Colossae's water, the cold water is very refreshing. That's also good. But you are neither hot nor cold and you're lukewarm. And you are living a life and acting in a way that is sickening to me, Jesus says. He says, you come, perhaps they come to the church when they feel like it. They pay lip service to Jesus's words. They live like those in the world and they're lukewarm. And maybe for many of them, they don't even realize it. Now, it's interesting to note that the name Laodicea means people ruling or ruled by people, which means that basically God was no longer running their church or their lives. And the city of Laodicea also is good to know is that it was almost destroyed by an earthquake. But the people of Laodicea, they built the city back up really quickly um, without any help from anyone around them. And so they thought, you know, we're good. We are self-sufficient. We can sort our own selves out. They didn't think about the fact that they needed Jesus. They thought about the fact 
that they had things that they could do themselves. But as Jesus says to all of us tonight, he says, you know, you may be physically rich. You know, you may live in a city like Laodicea, but you must remember that you need to be spiritually full, not spiritually bankrupt. So I want to ask us all a question today. Are you self-sufficient? Does anyone say they're self-sufficient in this place? Yeah, some people say yeah, it's honest, it's honest. I don't know about you, but I think it's really easy for us to all fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. I mean, if you think about it, I can call an Uber, and I can get in an Uber and go to anywhere really quickly. If you think about it, I can go to Amazon on my phone, Amazon Prime, and I can get anything delivered to my house in a matter of minutes. I can also call on Alexa. Does anyone have an Alexa in their house? Yeah, we've got an Alexa, and we, we ask Alexa lots of different things, and we ask her lots of different questions. And we can get information at the, you know, at, in split seconds. Information can come directly to us, not to mention ChatGPT. And you think about it, all the things that we have. We have electricity, we have an NHS, we have roads, we have cars, we have houses, we have lampposts. I don't know what else we can say we have, but we have a lot of things. And because of all the things that we have, sometimes we can think that we have it all, that we're okay, that we don't need anything else. And that's what the people of Laodicea thought. They thought that they could just tag God on as an added extra at the end. But the good thing is that despite Jesus' really scathing words, he always wants to help us. And he says, guys, you are a mess. I'm telling you and I'm letting you know you're a mess, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. Is anyone happy that Jesus always wants to help us? Amen. No matter what mess we're in, Jesus is still knocking on the door of our heart saying, I want to help you. I want to help you. Praise Jesus. Let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Thank you, Jesus. And then Jesus says to them, I want to now show you guys. I know you're great with all your financial sector and you know all your business stuff and you know you're all fancy with all your investments. But I actually want to show you how to make wise spiritual investments, Jesus says. And he says, I want, to, I want you to buy from me three different things. I want you to buy refined gold because I want you to know true spiritual richness. And I want you to know how to build a godly character. And then he says to them, I need you to buy white garments or white robes from me because I want to cover your spiritual nakedness with my righteousness. And I want to clothe you with purity. And then he says, look, I know all about your fancy medical school, but I want to give you real eye salve. I want to give you that eye salve of the Holy Spirit that can remove your spiritual blindness and help you to see spiritual reality. Yeah. Amen. And so tonight, I believe he wants to say to us, he wants us to have real spiritual richness, real spiritual riches. Does anyone want real spiritual riches tonight? Yeah, we want, we want the spiritual riches that only Jesus can give us. The world can give us money. The world can give us um, many different things. But what we want is true spiritual riches straight from Jesus. And I believe that he's going to do that tonight. He's going to give us true spiritual riches. Tonight he's saying, come and spend some time with me. As he was saying to the church at Laodicea, and he's saying, come and spend some time with me so that your condition can change. I need you to change your condition. And I think he's also saying really strongly in this letter that lukewarm 
was never my standard. It's never what I wanted, and it never will be. So in our minds, if any of us think it's okay to be lukewarm, Jesus is categorically saying no to lukewarmness. No to lukewarmness. Let's say no. No, no to lukewarmness. Amen. Amen. And I believe that there's three R's that I've, I've researched and prayed about this week, which I feel help us to think about how we can avoid being lukewarm. Jesus wants us to rise. Jesus wants us to repent. And Jesus wants us to resist. Can we say that? Rise, resist, and repent. And so are we ready to rise? Think about it. Let's think about rising. In the same way that temperatures can rise, Jesus wants us to rise from being a medium temperature that doesn't change anything to be an extreme temperature. Yeah, he wants us to be an extreme temperature. And, you know, we spoke about um, Laodicea and the water situation, but for the purpose of this illustration, I want us to focus on being hot, what it means to be hot. Because hot things change things. They affect the temperature of things around them. You know, if you think about a boiling hot pot of water, that hot pot of water is really powerful. Because if you put rice or you put pasta in it, it is so boiling that it changes the actual condition of what was put in the pot. And that's what Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be those that are hot, that affect the things around us. When you're hot, it's obvious. Do you agree? Yeah, when you're hot, you're obvious. And Jesus wants us to be that city on a hill that shines so brightly that people are drawn to him. He wants you to be a signpost. Yeah, he wants you to be drawing people unto him. Many years ago, I, li- I worked in um, a company in central London, and I was around during the time of the 7-7 bombings. And on the morning of the 7-7 bombings, we were all in the office. It was maybe about 9.30. It was, it was quite early. But we began to get information and calls that there'd been some bombings going on throughout London. And we were told by um, the staff and, and the tannoy system that was going around that we can't leave the building, that we're all locked in, that no one can go anywhere. And so we were very concerned. And we were like scouring the news channels to see what was going on. We were looking out of the window. We had all sorts of different news reports that were happening. And we were very, very concerned. And I'd been working at this company for about a year. But as we were sitting there and we were talking and we, we were concerned and we were you know, just speaking together, one of the colleagues came up to me. And I'd, I'd known her for a while. I'd, I'd spoken to her several occasions. We'd gone for lunch and things like that. And she said to me, Corinne, I don't know what's happening out there but I need you to pray to your God. I need you to start to pray to your God. And I looked at her and I was really shocked because a few weeks later she had said to me, but I mean a few weeks earlier she had said to me that she didn't believe in God. She didn't believe in God. And now all of a sudden she was like, Corinne, we need to pray to your God. And so I started to pray, I spoke to her. But what I found really interesting was that I was a spiritual signpost for her. I hadn't realized it. I'd spoken about my faith. I'd shared my faith with her. I had maybe, you know, had the Bible out on the table or, you know, talked about how I'd come to church on a Sunday. But for her, she was like, when things got hot and extreme, she felt that I was her spiritual signpost. She thought, right, this is the way to have a heavenly perspective right now because that was the only thing that was going to get us out of there. And it was really tragic because actually um, one of the ladies on the third floor in our office, she died 
in the 7-7 bombings. And so it, it was such a significant time. But we, we spoke and, you know, we prayed together. And it wasn't that I was extremely hot, let's say, because I was quite a new Christian. I was quite early in my faith. But I'd learned enough to know that, you know, we need to let people know that we're Christian. Yeah, does anyone agree with that in this place? Yeah, we need to at least let people know that we're Christian. We need to let them know so that we can at least be a signpost. Now, Jesus goes one step further than this example because he says that we need to be zealous. Yeah, say zealous. Zealous. In our society, zealous doesn't have a good connotation. But zealous means that you are enthusiastic, you are eager, you are devoted, and you are passionate. It means that, you know, you live a life of intimacy with God. It means that you have a prayer life. It means that you read the word. It means that you love to worship. It means that you like to gather with the people of God. It means that you want and you have the desire of what God wants in your life. This is what it means to be zealous. And another thing about being zealous is that you are open to sharing your faith. You're open to being a witness to other people. You're not hiding. You are being that lamp, yeah, that light on a hill. And you were saying, guys, I know the way. I have the news of how to gain eternal life. I'm the signpost. Jesus is over here. Yeah? And so that's what it means to be zealous. To be zealous. Now, if I ask you the question, do you believe in this place that people need Jesus? What would you say? Yes. There's a resounding yes. And if I say, do you believe that people will not make it to heaven without Jesus? What would you say? Did, what was I saying? Yes, yes. yes. I, don't, I don't think everyone said it. Do you believe that people will not make it to heaven without Jesus? Yes. Okay. I don't, I don't think everyone said yes. But anyway, we're going to move on. <laughs> the fact is, the average believer does not believe. Sorry. The average believer does not live like they actually believe that. Yeah? The average believer does not be, will act like they believe that. And that's what Jesus says is the problem. He says, you need to be zealous. Think about it. The devil wants your mouth. Yeah, he wants your words. He wants your worship. He wants your testimony. He doesn't want you to be talking about Jesus. And so if you are keeping your mouth shut, you're probably doing his work for him. So we are called to be zealous. We're called to speak out. Now, the most important thing that you can do, I believe, in this place is to learn to share your testimony because people can't refute your testimony. Yeah, it's your experience of why you're a Christian, why you follow Jesus, and why you love him. And I also think it's really important to learn to share the gospel in 60 seconds. Yeah, you can practice how you're going to say it, how you're going to learn it. But, you know, if you do one thing today, at least do those two things and practice those over this week. Because I believe that as you are ready, God will give you opportunity to share. Does anyone believe that? You know, sometimes we do feel our hearts going cold. And, you know, sometimes we need to challenge ourselves. And I like to challenge myself before God starts to challenge me because it might not be great when he starts to challenge me. And so sometimes I have to challenge myself. But the other day I was in Brent Cross and I was trying to buy a dress and I was in the changing room. And this lovely changing room lady, she helped me so much. She was helping me get sizes. She was so kind. And then I walked off to pay for everything. And as I'm walking, the Lord just says go back and speak to her. And I was like, Lord, I've am so busy. i got so many things to do. I've got to... I had all these things in my head. But I've learned my lesson. Just obey and go back. So I went back and I said, um, you know, I just want to say to you, you're really kind. 
and um, I'm a Christian, and Jesus loves you, and I would really love you to come and visit me in my church. And she looked at me, and she just looked at me, and I was thinking, ooh, okay. <laughs> and then she said, there's hope. And I said, yeah, there's hope. And his name is Jesus. And she said, no, there's really hope. There's really hope. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And she said, well, she'd been having a really bad day. And some things had been going on in her life. And things were really tough. But she said that because I came up to her and I said that Jesus loves her, she said that she felt that that meant that she had hope. And she was literally like almost tearing up. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. And I'm not saying that to act like, you know, I'm, I'm a super evangelist, but I do respond. If the, if the Lord puts a pressure on my heart, which he's done on many occasions, you just need to respond. You need to open your mouth and speak and at least let the enemy know, I am hot for Jesus. I am hot for Jesus. Do something, don't do nothing. Now, the second R is about repentance. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like being told off. I don't like hearing home truths. Does anyone like to hear home truths in this place? No. Nope. And the Bible says, if you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. It says that in Proverbs 15, 32. Jesus has the cure for lukewarmness. And if you will open your ears and hear him, he will help you. He wants to remind us of our true identity. He wants to let you know tonight that you are a royal priesthood. Yeah, that you are a holy nation, that you are a chosen people. He wants to let you know that you are the head and not the tail. He wants to let you know that you're above and not beneath. He wants to let you know that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that he has called you for a time such as this, that you are his perfect workmanship, created before time. Yeah, Jesus knows what we have. He knows what we are. And he wants us to use our giftings for his purposes, for the kingdom of God. We can't blend in and be camouflage. And if we are blending in and being a camouflage, we need to repent. Because he says it, be zealous and repent. If you're not being zealous, you need to repent. Now, some of us don't like to repent because we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We don't want to admit that we're not what we should be. But repentance helps us be restored. It helps us be forgiven. And it helps us be purified again. And so we need to repent. Sometimes we're not living up to our true calling, and Jesus wants us to repent for that. And if you know that you really are kind of falling short on what God has said, the key thing to do is to repent and to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm sorry. Yeah, I repent for my sins. I repent for where you told me to go and speak to someone and I didn't. I repent for where you told me to call up someone and pray with them and I didn't. At least repent because it shows that you have had a thought that this isn't quite right, that you know that there's a better standard. You know, Jesus says these profound words in verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will dine with him and he with me. And for me, I think these words are really profound because you think about it. Jesus is, was talking to the church of Laodicea, but somehow he said that he's at the door of the church and he's knocking to try and come in. So that means that he was locked out of his own church and he's like, guys, 
I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking, please. Can I come back in? Can I come back into the church? Can I come back into the church? Somehow, this church, Laodicea, they put Jesus outside the front door. And he was trying to get back in. And some of us have put Jesus outside our front door. But tonight, Jesus is saying, can I come back in? Can I come back into your hearts? And I believe that if we think about it, if this church had managed to put him outside the front door, we need to be careful, church, that we as a church don't put Jesus outside the front door. Now, how, do we might, how might we have done that? We might have done that by what he says, which is being lukewarm. We might have done that by what he says, which is not doing the works of the kingdom while we still have day to do it in. These are the things that he's reminding us. He's saying, look, guys, you, there's, there's more. There's more. I'm going to stand outside the church door if you kick me out and if you don't let me in. That's a word for the global church right now. That's a word for the global church. Are we kicking Jesus out of the front door? Is he standing outside, knocking to come back in? Oh, Lord. Jesus says, I love you. I love you. He said, I love them. And he says, I want you to tell them how much I long for them, how much I long for you. Each person here, Jesus longs for you. And because he longs for you, it means that he's not quite where he needs to be with you. Yeah, he's longing for you because there's more. There is more. And so just like Jesus, he's knocking on the door of our hearts tonight and he's saying, is there any room? I want to come in. I want to feast with you. I want to dine with you. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? Because I can give you spiritual food that will cause you to overflow. So next time you recognize your lukewarmness, just repent. Repent of it and say, Jesus, come in, because he will show you secrets and strategies. Right. Third, third R is resist. Is anyone ready to resist in this place? Yeah, we are ready to resist the enemy. We're ready to resist the enemy in this place. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, resisting means that you fight back, that you put up a resistance. Let's do that with our hand. Let's, let's push back. We're pushing back. We are fighting back. Yeah, we are resisting. And I'm doing that as a physical act because I hope that will remind you in the week. I studied history at uni, and when I was at uni, I loved to study about resistance movements. And I was reading about um, the Vietnamese War, or the Vietnam War in the 1960s, and how the Vietnamese people, they used guerrilla tactics to fight against the Americans. And they'd, big, they'd dig these like tiny little trenches, and they would like hide in trees, and they would use the jungle as a camouflage. And they would just be like all over the place trying to circumvent what the American soldiers were trying to do. Now, the Bible says don't fight as the world fights, but it does say that we are to resist with our actions and our minds. And you know, I find it so interesting that in the world, everyone is so ready to broadcast their news to us. Yeah, everyone is supposed to, so eager to broadcast their ideologies. What they think, they want to let us know about it. We need to know all about it, and we can't say we don't want to know about it. And so because of that, we are in a situation where often we're being bombarded, but we need to resist. We need to push back. We need to be that Christian voice. I was speaking to a woman on the tube on my way home. Yes, I was, I was challenged by the Lord, and I, and I said, Lord, I'm going to speak to her. 
and I was speaking to this lady on the tube, and she said, oh, okay. I just said, I'm a Christian, and I just wanted to chat to you. And she said, yeah, okay. And she said, well, I'm open. I'm spiritual, so I'm open. And I said, okay, okay. So I began to talk to her, and we were having a little chat. And then she said, you know, it's really funny that you're talking to me this week, because last week I was on the train, and this woman came up to me, and she said that she was a white witch, and that um, she could help me, and that I could join her, and that, um, you know, all the things that I'm going through would be okay. And I looked at her, like, completely shocked. And she said, yeah, she spoke to me on the train. And I, and I began to explain about the gospel and about the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, and that there's no magic that is good. But when I got off the train, um, we prayed together, I spoke to her, we had a really good conversation, and we exchanged numbers. And then I got off the train, and I was actually more intrigued about what a white witch was, so I Googled it. And it said that a white witch is someone that uses magic for benevolent purposes or without malicious intent, i.e., it's a good witch. And I was thinking, what? What? Ephesians 5.11 says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. This, this woman who called herself a white witch, she was out evangelizing. Yeah, she was trying to encourage this lady to come and learn about her supposed good magic. And think about it, we're carrying a gospel message. We're carrying a gospel message that has eternal life. Are we out on the tubes and on the trains and anywhere else? speaking and sharing the way to eternity. It's really, 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 really interesting. And when you begin to start to think about this, you think we, all of us here, we have a mandate to push back against the darkness. We have a mandate to push back against the darkness. Now, how can you resist? Maybe in your workplace, you just need to be that Christian voice, sharing your Christian perspective. Maybe it's about forming a prayer group, an outreach team. Maybe it's joining an outreach team. Maybe it's inviting someone to church. You know, sometimes we can think, oh, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not really good at all that stuff. But the fact is, many people are actually won by coming to church with a friend or a family member who's invited them. And so, you know, whatever you can, whatever you can do, start to resist and start to push back. Maybe you need to start to make some complaints yeah, you might need to write to your MP about things that you're not happy with. You might need to start to write to your children's school about some of the things that they're forcing your children to learn. Yeah, we are, the, we are the spiritual force that is supposed to push back against the darkness. And it says, Matthew 10, 28, whatever I tell you in the dark, speak it in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Let us resist by building up the kingdom of God. Does anyone agree with that in this place? Yes. Amen.